0: KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlow with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie
1: 083 306 9696 is our Dinner's Ready Tech sign and we'd, as always, only love to hear from you. Any news or views you have to share this morning, 083 306 9696. We have lots coming up, as we always do. Shortly, we'll be speaking to Kathleen Chada, who's going to tell us about the Ballon Killen Teammates Forever Challenge that's taking place this weekend. And we'll also be hearing from Kilkenny Leadership Partnership, who are going to give us an opportunity to have our say in the future of our town. So that will be an interesting conversation for sure. As you've been hearing in our news this morning, St Luke's General Hospital for Carlo and Kilkenny have been hit by the latest wave of COVID-19 with visitor restrictions in place there. While those thinking of presenting at the emergency department are being asked to check out other care channels first. Edwina Grace has been finding out more.
2: Clinical Director at St Luke's General Hospital for Carlo and Kilkenny, Professor Gary Courtney. Um, it's been another very busy time, I suppose, for you, uh, Gary, and your team, and you've had to put in uh, specific measures in the last 24 hours. Uh,
3: thanks, Edwina. Yeah, it's been very difficult here for the last couple of days. We've really caught up in a big outbreak of covid which I know a lot of people thought was behind us, but COVID has never gone away and it has now burst out again. We have, at the moment, 32 infected patients, over five wards. So that's a major outbreak. And we expect the numbers to continue to rise for the next few days, at least. Um, We've obviously put control measures in place, but that Anybody that has been infected will develop symptoms the next few days. So we're probably going to hit 40, 45, which, by the way, was the highest number we had back in the old COVID days. So to, to deal with this, unfortunately, we have to put visiting restrictions in place again. Um, there they're across the board, we really want people to keep away from the hospital because they could be carrying COVID and the hospital's full of COVID. So what I would say is that, obviously, for maternity unit, visiting will be allowed because that's a really emotional time, but people will have to wear masks and PPE. And, obviously, in any other part of the hospital, there will be uh, exemptions made for exceptional cases, so the children's ward, for instance, or somebody who's very ill or end-of-life care. And what we'll do is we can phone Uh, The the relatives of patients who are in those categories and offer them appointments where they can come in for half an hour wearing masks and PPE and we'll give them those times so that they will be able to be with their loved ones. But we really do have to clamp down on visiting that isn't strictly necessary.
2: We have put um, full details up on the KCLR website. If anyone wants to check out what is and isn't, isn't uh, allowed, it's kclr96fm.com. But Professor Courtney, ha- how concerned are you about this current wave of COVID?
3: Oh, we're very concerned because it's very infectious, as you know. We don't think this is a new variant, but we're working on that. A number, not just us, a number of hospitals have been affected. Carey Hospital is very affected. Galway University Hospital is very affected and others. And it spreads really quickly. It's not that obvious. And, uh, you know, it's sniffles, it's runny nose, it's sore throat, it's a cough, breathlessness. You know the other thing about the loss of taste and smell. But there's a new thing we see now, which is diarrhoea. And a lot of the patients that we have are very elderly, they're very infirm, and they're having a lot of diarrhea. And that, that puts a lot of strain on the nurses and healthcare attendants who are looking after them because they're no sooner have they cleared up one patient who's been very unwell with diarrhea, there's another one, and then there's another one. So the staff are under a lot of pressure, and some staff are infected and have to be gone. we're being caught every way more patients coming in older sicker more frail staff getting ill and already as you know we're probably you probably know we're we have a lot of staff shortages at the moment so that's why we have to actually say regrettably that for a week or two maybe three we're going to have quite strict visiting restrictions except for the exemptions that you've kindly put up on your website and I'd, I'd encourage everybody to go and look at your the, the KCLR website 96FM get it look at it and if you have any difficulties with that phone and the hospital will be able to answer any questions.
2: And what is it do you think Professor Courtney have we forgotten the basics all over again the proper washing of hands and you know uh, keeping a respectful distance from people? Or
3: Yeah that's that's as simple as that Um COVID never went away. Okay, we, We've we've never had a day that we didn't have COVID here. So the last few weeks, I suppose it was five patients, six patients, seven, you know, these kind of numbers up and down. It never went away and suddenly it just burst out. Have you been out shopping recently? How many people did you see wearing masks? How many people did you see in close gatherings? So everybody's forgotten that we were fed up to the teeth of this and people just went back to normal living and that's i suppose what we all wanted but unfortunately um, i think uh, it's just my opinion that it'll still take possibly a year or two for covid to work its way through the system so we're going to get flare-ups like this and you know we'll have to deal with them and we'll just get used to dealing with them like the flu but it's still a bit more infectious than the flu. We don't see this with the flu. When the flu comes into our hospital, we don't see 30, 40 patients being infected in the hospital. So this is a highly infectious virus. But fortunately, the patients are ill, but they're not dying. So that, that is different. It's a, the variant is less virulent, it's killing less people, but it is making them quite sick. And the older they are, of course, the sicker they get.
2: And I suppose to that end, then, uh, Professor Courtney, this not only affects um, people who are looking to visit somebody who's uh, currently in St Luke's General Hospital for Carl Uncle Kenny, but also those who might present at the emergency department locally too. I know you guys are suggesting that they look at alternative uh, care routes as well.
3: If you've got a... exactly. And if you have a cough, sneezes, breathlessness, not too bad sore throat, you know, mild headache, take two Panadol, plenty of uh, fluids, go to bed, keep away from other people. If you're getting worse, obviously, and you feel you have to come into hospital, the hospital's always there, we will always be here. But if we just get people coming into an emergency department with, you know, what what really is, um, you know, if you're young and healthy, a minor illness, COVID is a minor illness. That should be self-treated at home. Uh, don't go in like that to your GP surgery because that's just going to spread it. Now, you can phone your GP or you can get advice on the phone or you can just, um, you can, if you want, you can phone the hospital for advice. But the answer is if you're not that well and not that unwell and you're young and you just have a mild headache, a sore throat, a bit of a hoarse voice, sniffles, runny nose, perhaps a little diarrhea, that's, you don't need to come into hospital for that. And you don't want to be in this hospital because... This hospital is now everybody wearing masks, everybody locking down. So we're going into a sort of internal lockdown for a few weeks to try to snuff it out inside the hospital. You see, it's in here now; it's in the air. It's and and the other problem is you probably know there's a big building program going on in the hospital, and because of that, we have to close windows because of another infectious risk when we're digging soil called aspergillosis. So it's just a bit of a double whammy at the moment, and if the public could help us out and only visit the hospital if needed. That would be a great, a great help to the staff here.
2: Professor Gary Courtney, thank you very much for joining us.
3: Okay, thank you, addicted, you know A
1: little bit of picture this that was addicted to you to ease us into our Friday morning. Now, 40 years ago this week, Eight young men, including three brothers from Boris, were swept out to sea in Doolin County, Clare. The victims, all aged between 17 and 25, were gathered for a pop music festival at nearby Liston Varna. James, John and Edward Doran were the three brothers from Boris who lost their lives. And I'm joined on the line by their rubber, pardon, their brother Robert this morning. Good morning, Robert. Good morning. Thank you for coming mm-hmm. on with us this morning to remember your brothers. I believe that you were in Liston Verna that weekend.
4: Uh, no, you're wrong there, my dear. I was in actually Tamora that weekend with my family on a, on a weekend holiday. Uh, hadn't known anything about anything, but during the day, I, I said to my friend Richie, I said, there's something wrong somewhere. You and, just had a um, feeling... Yeah, I had this feeling that there was something wrong and and things weren't right. So um, how I found out was uh, I went up to the shop in Tramore and here was the paper in front of me, the Irish Independent, and the three brothers from Ballymuffey, Boris County, Cairo, and the pictures, and that's how I found out.
1: Gosh, that was a terrible way for you to learn that news. I understood from an article that I wrote back in 19, that I read rather back in nineteen eighty three that there was another brother there. Is that the case, or was that misreported? Another oh, one of your uh,
4: Christy. Yeah, Christy, uh, was there on the beach that day. Would would uh, would a crowd from Boris, Rahanna, Bally Murphy, good few people down all oh, went down together to Van Morrison uh, concert or uh, you know to in the open like, you know what I mean and there was other bands playing there but that's he was on the beach that day and um, unfortunately luckily he's, he wasn't in the water but what really happened was a big freak wave came in and it was only, it's only a little beach it's not as big you know a wave came in and swept many many uh, uh, people out to the sea and unfortunately Aisem got drowned that day
1: that was a really shocking way for you to learn the news. And I suppose it's it's quite unimaginable 40 years later when we have mobile phones and we have so much, I suppose, instant access to, to people. Can you take us back a little bit to, to how you felt in that moment, if you don't mind, Robert?
4: Yes, I can indeed. Um, I didn't know what to feel because I was down with me, and my wife and, at the time and she was expecting and... Um, Uh, The guards were looking for me because it was after happening late, you know. But when I walked into that shop, my whole world changed. Um, Christy was down there uh, with the the Kellys and the Murphys and the Dorns. James Murphy was a neighbour as well. He got drowned as well uh, from Murphy. And I, I would like to mention the other five people also, if that's possible. Of course. There was uh, John There was John Paul Lahey from Kilmallock County, Limerick. He was a 21-year-old. There was a Dennis O'Sullivan from Sneem County, Kerry. He was 31. There was Colin Keith and John Murphy. I think it was John Murphy was his name, uh, from, uh, from Erling County Leash. Uh, they were all swept out to sea on the same day, like, you know what I mean? And- uh, there was eight people all together.
1: And for your family Robert the loss of James, John and Edward must have been really horrific that they all lost their life in that one incident.
4: Oh, it was to this day it's as it's bad now it was 40 years ago. Is it? Uh, it was horrific. It was horrific. I was, I was the eldest in the family and my sister was older than me. And, uh, Mary, and Mary had to identify the bodies afterwards. So that was a horrific uh, experience for her. But, uh, we didn't even, we didn't speak about it at home. That's how we tried to get over it. We didn't, we only spoke about them when their birthdays came up or Christmas or Easter. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what went on that day in that house, but I got a phone call from a first cousin of mine. I was in Dueling last weekend and 70 people turned up. Couldn't believe it, and uh, to the, I'm still feeling the pain today. You I know, can imagine. Oh, I just can't explain it, dearly. You, you
1: know what I mean? Well, it's it's a it's a lot to process, isn't it? And I think we probably our attitudes towards grief have changed a lot. I think, but I think 40 years ago that would have been very typical, Robert. That we didn't speak about something that was so painful and so devastating for for your family in this case.
4: Yeah, it was, uh, I'll tell you a little story. Uh, they were brought to Galway, called the hospital at that time. And um, one, of the, one of the nicest people I ever met was Eamon Casey, the Bishop of Galway. He did everything for us. And from the time we left Galway, to Galway, as we got to Ballymurphy, every crossroad, and this is not exaggerating, every crossroad from Galway to Ballymurphy was full of people. Because it was known all over the world, even in Australia and New Zealand, it was under newspapers over there. What a tragedy! Like you know, I'm not just saying that, but that was the the worst tragedy. Even in, even today in Dublin, when I was talking to the people, they said it was never seen anything like it like. And I would have to I would have to comment on the men that tried to save, tried to save them and got them back. They were absolutely fantastic. The rescue service down in Dublin. Unreal, you know.
1: Well, it it is, I suppose, very nice, Robert, in a way, if I can say that, to remember your lovely brothers James, John, and Edward Doran, on the fortieth anniversary of their of their death, and we hope they're resting peacefully. And we thank you so much for sharing that story with us this morning.
4: Thank you very much, and um, I really thank the people from Ballymurphy uh, and from all the people in Ireland and Doran, especially. For all the all the all the goodness they're after giving us over the forty years, because every time you go down, it's it's always said and they're always very good to us. I want to say one more little thing. My mother, my mother passed away seven months ago, and she was a broken woman. like, you know, she her heart was broken, but she she brought uh, she brought she died with a broken heart. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm sure she did. mother. Well, um, you know, our,
1: our sympathies you know. on, on the loss of your mother as well, Robert. And may she rest yeah. in peace and may the boys rest in peace. And thank you again for coming on this morning.
0: KCLR Live, with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets, and a state of the art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie. Carlo, Kilkenny, KCLR.
1: Robert Dorn was with us there from Bally Murphy. Very grateful to the community who rallied round when their family faced that great tragedy 40 years ago. And indeed, Bally Murphy is not far from Bell and Killen, where another community are remembering two beautiful boys, Owen and Rory Shada, this weekend. Their mum, Kathleen, joins me on the line now. Good morning, Kathleen.
5: Good morning, Nona, How are you?
1: I'm not too bad. Kathleen, you've spoken so bravely and beautifully about your boys in the past so i don't want to really go into the very huge tragedy that you suffered again but i suppose i'd like to know how you are 10 years later how are you how are you doing
5: i'm um i'm, I'm doing okay uh, to be honest in in the circumstances and um and I am doing okay. It's 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 tough. There are days that are better than others. There are, yeah. I mean, and that's that's going to be the truth for so many. Um, you know, that have have losses in their lives. And uh, yeah, ten years is significant. Um, for me, there's a a sense of. Of, of, of something and I'm not quite sure that I can put it into words to be honest but um, certainly it's a significant anniversary and you know I've, there's, there's a lot of changes this year for me I, you know I, I moved house I've, I've got a new job and you know so there's a lot of, of, of things like that that have happened that you know have had, I suppose added to that significance but um, you know I I've always said I carry the boys with me wherever I am and wherever I go. So um, that hasn't changed and won't change.
1: And Kathleen, I know you've spoken about this before—the fact that you you kept your name, Chada—and yeah. I think I've heard you say that you did that to hold on to that connection to your boys. Am I right in saying that?
5: Oh, absolutely. They they were born as Owen and Marie Chada, um, and I can't. Change that, um, you know. And I wouldn't. They were very proud of it. They were as proud of their Indian heritage as they were their Irish. Um, in in lots of ways, and uh, Owen in particular was was very curious about it, and and you know looked forward to the possibility of of maybe going going to India once, So you know it's a it's a significant part of them. Um, and uh, I I could have changed it absolutely. Um, you know, in the early days, I could have changed it when I divorced. I could have changed it, but but that's it's it's them. So that's one of my connections to to Owen and Rory. Uh, so no, I, I won't be changing it.
1: You mentioned Kathleen that this year has seen some significant change in your life: moving house, changing job. Do you feel that that puts a certain distance between you and and what happened ten years ago? And is that a welcome distance or? Does that add to maybe your sense of loss and grief? Um, it
5: it it doesn't add a distance because that it's there all the time. It's not going to go away. And and to be honest, you know, I've said it many times. I, I don't want to move on from Owen and Rory's loss. I don't want to get over it. Um, because it's not about getting over something like this you don't get over it but it is about learning to live with it and, and continuing to live with it and um, you know I've, I've I've got to do that I, I've got to learn how to move forward in, in my own life and you know while while still bringing them with me and you know that's to, there's there's a part of me that goes that, that there's a normal normalcy in in that in you know as any parent knows you know as your children grow up and get older and and you know go go you know become independent that that's there anyway so your life changes um and and in a way you know it, it sounds bizarre but in a way that's how i'm looking at my own life you know um it's 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 different it it changes over over time and you know loss and the loss of a child in particular it doesn't leave you you don't get over it one of the the the, i suppose the the most significant pieces of advice i got in the very early days was from a woman who had lost her, her children um you know and they're buried very close to where own and Rory are in in Killen. and and she talked about how she still visits the grave you know 35 40 years down the line and and that was actually that that meant so much to me at the time because it made me go okay I won't forget them because that was that was a fear um you know so to know that um and I know that I'll hold them with me you know for the rest of my life that's they 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 were you know they're, they're, they're everything to me, um, and so you know it, it's it's and you, you try and put words on something that, that is very hard to describe um, really. But so no, I I won't. You know it hasn't it hasn't it hasn't changed in that way. Um, it's just living my own life slightly differently than, than I have for the last 10 years is I suppose where I'm where I'm going with it.
1: And I wonder, Kathleen, I spoke with somebody from Grief Ireland uh, during the week, Kathy Stretch, and we spoke a little bit about what people say in the aftermath of a huge loss. So as you were speaking there, I was thinking, how many times have we said to somebody, time's a great healer? Have platitudes like that been difficult for you or have you mostly found people able to deal with your grief in a way that is, is okay for you?
5: Um, I Definitely the latter. I, I, look, I, I know the reality is nobody sets out to hurt me or, or somebody else who's going through a really tough time. And what we all try and do is put words on, on something and we're trying to comfort somebody. So I recognize that everything that people say to me on the whole is about trying to bring me a little bit of comfort um, and but it doesn't mean that everything that's said does that and you know there can be things that you know uh, that they've gone to a better place well no they haven't you know the, the best place for my sons is beside me um, and uh, you know so you've you've got that you know time moves on it'll get easier no it doesn't but it's okay because, well, as I say, what what people are trying to do is is create a little bit of, of comfort. And uh, it's funny I was only talking to somebody yesterday uh, about the fact that people, you know, be, people that are have uh, talk about, that have gone through extreme grief um, talk about, you know, people avoiding them or losing friendships and things mm-hmm. like that. I've never found that. I I wonder sometimes if I've just got blinkers on and I've not noticed that people are trying to avoid me. Um, um, but do you know what? If if people have, that's fine. I understand. You know, it's not easy um, to to. It's not easy to know what to say um, to people who have gone through through grief uh, or going through grief. And it's not easy to know what to say to me sometimes. Um, and I do recognise that. But uh, I'm sure it site, isn't... Same, um, sorry, sorry, can Many people, no, at, at the same time, so many people come up that I don't know, strangers that have recognized me and come up and just, you know, want to give a little bit of comfort, want want to just acknowledge what you've gone through. And I think that's incredibly brave of people to do that. Um, so, look, the, there's, I, I also think, in a way, how we present ourselves, if you like, how, how I am with other people, I like to think makes it a little bit easier. I'm more than happy to talk about Owen and Rory when I get the chance. So, you know, um, and I appreciate when people, you know, recognize w- w- what I've gone through. And as I say, are brave enough to to acknowledge that um, with me. And I hope I don't make it more difficult for anybody. Um, and I, I think that's... That sort of certainly key for me in in going back out into the world. Um, I you know, no doubt,
1: but that you don't, Kathleen, because I think you're atypical in your bravery and your willingness to speak about something that cuts so deep in terms of pain. So I think that's probably why people do feel okay to say it. You know, to to mention your huge loss to
5: you. Yeah. And and I'm yeah. So thank you. Thank but the discomfort
1: that. is very much on, on on the other side i think and even oh, yeah. i felt a little uncomfortable coming into this because i can't grapple with what you went through it's very difficult and i'm mm. i'm just worried that i'm going to say something insensitive that that will upset you unnecessarily to be quite honest i'm sure many people feel that way
5: they 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 do and and i understand that and i appreciate that one of the things I've, I've talked about with, with family and friends, actually, uh, who, who feel the same way, even though they, they know me as well as they do, um, is you, you can't hurt me any more than I've been hurt. You can't ever, nobody can say anything that's going to to be worse than, than I've gone through. Um, and and as I say, I, I, I still come back to nobody sets out to be insensitive or to hurt um. And and I understand that. Um, so even if somebody has said something that's maybe slightly inappropriate, um, you know, I I I, I kind of I, I'm in a position to be able to take stock of, of of what's being said and why it's being said, and and you know what's what's around it. And. Um, it's very rare that I would actually feel no that wasn't right that was that was you know they shouldn't have said that um and to be honest I will pick somebody up if if they've said something I think is inappropriate I I will um pick them up on it generally speaking because because I don't want them to do it to somebody else to be honest mm-hmm. um you know and uh, in the circumstances that I'm I'm I've been in in the last 10 years you know I've been I've been lucky with the support that I've had and and the people around me, um, you know. And and you know, I still see a psychologist on occasion. Uh, he's the same guy that was has been sort of journeyed with me for the last ten years. So that makes a difference, you know, the professional, I suppose, side of that. Because talking to family and friends is is wonderful, but a lot of them have you know they're they're grieving the loss of Owen and Rory as well um so I'm I'm quite cognizant of that so actually talking to a counselor psychologist you know whoever somebody professional you can say whatever you like and you need to say to that person and, and you know that you know you're not you don't have to hold back um and I think that for me is has been key because I can you know anything I can say I say there's no right or wrong. I don't have to think about am I hurting them or am I just laying more pain or grief on them or making it worse for them. I just have to think about myself in, in that hour or whatever that I'm with somebody. And uh, it, that that to me is a big, big part of, of um, the process, if you like. And uh, so, yeah, talking about grief and talking about it. Most people know I'm a talker um, and uh, getting me to stop talking can be the challenge.
1: But it's very healthy, Um, isn't it? And I'm so happy to hear that you have that safe space where you can just get out whatever you need to get out. Because as you say, that is such an important part of that, that, that grieving. Kathleen, how important is what's happening this weekend, this Sunday, August the 6th to you?
5: It's, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. And, you know, for anybody that's going to be there on Sunday to see the, you know, to see the, the, the kids. It's, so Sunday is, is uh, about, a, it's, it's a hurling tournament that's in Ballonkillen for under 15s, at, you know, various groups, under, um, age groups under 15, and it's called Teammates Forever. And bless them, I, I do a little bit of a, a spiel and a speech at it and I talk about what it is to to be a teammate and to have teammates and the importance of, of that for, for young people and, and um, you know, uh, not to feel isolated, I suppose, in, in their lives, because I think a lot of young people now have, have so many challenges, um, you know, that are out there. But they, they the day itself is, it's just full of joy. It's fun. It's happy. To see the kids out there playing and enjoying themselves is is fantastic for me. And Roy and the team behind us, it, it they just do such an incredible job. Um, and it's you know it, it's it's Owen and Rory's happy place. This is how I describe it. If, if you know when you're on the pitch in Killen, you know the, there's the, the bench that the. The club put up in memory of Owen and Rory just sits there, just up up from the the goalpost, one of the goalposts, and overlooks the whole pitch. And you know, you've got the school and the church behind. You've got my old, you know, the boys' home, just to the side. They can, you know, you can practically see, you can see the pitch from from their bedroom windows. Um, as as was you know, my mum's house is just up the road. So everything that was important to them is there and it's it just it and I can I feel that I feel their presence in in many ways um you know on on the day and the kids themselves don't all know what what it's about or why it's there and they don't need to you know they just need to know that it's a fun day out and and you see that in them um and you, you can see the the joy and the fun and you know all that goes with that, so uh, no, it's a, it's just a brilliant day. And as a community, I mean, I say it every time. Ballin Killen to me is is incredible. They are just exceptional. They they came together ten years ago for me, and have done before that, and they've done it since. And you know, it, it's it's one of the big. I suppose pluses of, of a small community, um, and that's a, It's not so small anymore. It's a growing community. But when you see the the parents on the day um, and what they they do, you know, in the kitchen, we, we we have food for the kids. We have we make sure there's plenty of drinks, and and you know they've they can they can just enjoy. Um, the, the, the day, but the community themselves enjoy it. That's, I think, another part of it. It's not a, a chore. Um, and it's a happy. I don't think memory. it is anyway. It's a happy. You mentioned, yeah, absolutely.
1: Kathleen, that in that area, everything that was important to own and Rory is there. And the person who was most important to them, you, you're there. That takes bravery. Yeah. And not that you would have chosen this, but I'm sure you're an inspiration to so many people. Thank you so much for coming on this morning to speak a little about your beautiful boys, Owen and Rory, and tell us about the Bell Killen Teammates Forever Challenge, which is taking place this Sunday, August 6th. Good morning, Kathleen.
0: KCLOR Live, with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie.
1: Welcome back 083 306 9696 if you want to get in touch on anything that we are discussing this morning. Communities are being urged to have their voice heard at a Future Shaping Our Town workshop which is a free event organised by LEADER to shape mobility connectivity inclusion and the circular economy policy in kilkenny towns to discuss this i'm joined in studio by martin rafter assistant ceo and social inclusion programs manager with kilkenny leader partnership and angela campion development officer with the same organization good morning to you both good morning, morning. martin i'd start with you that's quite a lofty aim isn't it
6: yeah I, I, I suppose it is but we've been we've been at it a while now um the we've been I think one of the first the, the, one of the first Smarter Villages event we actually had it in 2021 20, wasn't it Angela mm-hmm. out in Ballykeith it's the start of that discussion but the Smarter Villages concept is something that was kind of that was founded in Europe so it's looking at there's lots of you know when we think when we imagine Irish communities you have to think of them in terms of like what's their connectivity so where where are they in terms of broadband the transport connections the service connections and that's a question that extends right across Europe so that thinking was was kicked off a number of years ago so we kind of picked up on that and started to think about it ourselves and then in 2021 we kicked off um, a series of conversations. Well, the first one was in Ballykeith in the summer in 21, and we've kind of looked at questions of climate, culture, connectivity and place, and how all of those things how how are all of those things connected in our minds, but also how are they all connected physically? So, you've got people living in places, living, working in and kind of enjoying living in, in places, but there's also challenges there. So, um, how, how can Places be made, I suppose, better through better connectivity. So that might be your broadband connection, your transport connections, your um, connections to services. So where they might be actually in communities, but you're actually better connected to them in other places. Your work and education opportunities, your, your 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 connections to the cultural assets that we have in a place. So how are we? How do we make sure that people have got really good access to all of these things? In other places, but also how can we make them live and breathe in these smaller places as well?
1: So, the idea I'm assuming is that you Maintain the attraction of these places as vibrant places where people can realistically stay without having to migrate somewhere that would have been considered more of a central hub in years gone by. Is that the the
6: premise? Yeah, I mean, <coughs> I suppose it's not, they're not. I suppose they're not so much in. So, say for instance, place like Kenny and Watford. You know, they're they're the they're the, the hubs in mm. in the region for us. You know, in terms of work and um, getting out and and doing things. So, how do we maintain the vibrancy? of smaller places for the people who live in them firstly and then maybe secondly then how how do we make them you know important and attractive to people who might visit visit them as a second priority if you like
1: okay it, it, there's a lot in that isn't yeah. there like even everything you've mentioned so far that there's, there's such valuable principles and aims but there's so much in that I might turn to you Angela to tell us a little bit about how does that work on the ground so for example how is
7: this workshop going to pan out Okay, so well like our job is to take the, the, the smart concept and um hand hold the communities to deliver projects around that principle so for example um a lot of rural ireland is not covered immediately by the national uh, broadband plan so an example of how we transfer the principle into reality is we have a project uh, broadband for our community down in pilltown so as i said they were outside the national broadband plan so to look at their village smartly to continue to be able to live and you know have services they um, have a fibre cable around their uh, village so they did that for themselves with the help of leader and the beauty of having um, um, a social enterprise like this is that they're in control of their future so they're looking at their village smartly so any income that they generate from that project will be reinvested into future projects so that's what we mean by the by looking at your village smartly there's like there's not an infinite amount of funding uh, so basically you you try to see how can we generate income and that that's that's what we do with the smart village concept.
1: So to go back to your Pilton example for a moment, was that community led as in they identified what their barrier to connectivity was and then the funding facilitated a solution to that problem.
7: Okay, so uh, Kilkenny Leader Partnership, although we administer funding uh, under the Rural Development Program and the Sidecap Program, we also um, do a lot of development work. So how the the Pilltown came to be was, as I said, part of the Smart Village uh, principle. We held roadshows all around uh, Kilkenny, sowing the seeds that you can be in control of your own village. You can help to make sure the people you know have access to social media uh, that they have access to continuing to want to live in that community and um, so um, we we help them to make that happen by providing them with uh, technical assistance to see how that was possible and as a result of that based on a huge amount of volunteerism and as I said support from the rural development program they were able to design and develop Their own uh, fiber, future proof broadband for their community. And It was such a phenomenal uh, thing to achieve uh, based on a bank of volunteers who really knew very little about broadband, but they they grew and learned as they they went along. And they actually won an EU award uh, for uh, digital towns for innovation. So it's a really very successful project. But the principle of the SMART is that the income that they generate from that is ploughed back into the community to make it smarter again and again. So it just keeps on rolling. And to
1: feed it forward. You mentioned the the road shows there and I'm wondering if either of you would like to comment on this. You are very reliant on people within a community stepping up and availing of what is out there, what leader and other such groups are facilitating. What's the uptake been like? What's the interest been like?
6: Well, I mean, I think Angela would talk a lot there about um, some of the projects that we have. I mean, it's not, I mean, in some ways, People would ex- prefer to have things done for them, but actually, in some ways, it's more sustainable for people to do it for themselves. So, it was it was really the the Pilltown thing was really amazing to watch just how you know a few key there's elements of the of the project that people love diggers digging planning the practical stuff, but there was a level of where there were the key people in that group who had to familiarise themselves with the, with the technical matters that are attached to laying down fibre, you know, and, and connecting people and planning that. And it was really incredible to watch this, the speed at which people became familiar with it. But they own that and control that now, and they're the best people to do it, you know. I mean, Angela could talk to you a little bit about um, the hub in it's an namana It started as an outdoor pursuits hub, it still is, but it's got a different function, it's a it's they it was it was the opportunities were definitely i suppose we helped to explore them, but they, it was the people in the Barrow Valley community development who who understood them fundamentally because they're from the town and then they made they tweaked that project to accommodate camper vans, and that campervan um traffic that goes through that facility is leaving approximately two million per year in the town. In, in, in revenue, you know, so that's a, that's a big shift in terms of the economic activity in a town of that size, you know. And also, I think the people from the camper vans are leaving behind, or, you know, every weekend, a, a sense of vibrancy and, you know, and, and action in the town as well that I think the locals enjoy
1: and a freshness they're freshening up which is always lovely you've new faces a bit of excitement I love the variety in the project and that brings me back to the community led aspect of this that if I suppose you are relying on people being willing to participate and really identify the strengths and what you can harness as a revenue stream in the future. But the potential sounds
7: huge. It is. And in fairness, we we could not um, achieve this unless it was in collaboration with the volunteers. And going back to the SMART principle, a lot of the time they start off in uh, running this as a volunteer in volunteer capacity. But the idea is that eventually um, there will be jobs created as a result of it. So, like the community uh, shop uh, uh, network that we have going, um, we have uh, Billy's Tea Rooms in um, uh, Ballyhale, and that originally started off fully run by volunteers. And then, you know, they're a victim of their own success, where, you know, people are now employed as a result. And Mucklee, um, a rural community, um, in North Kilkenny. Again, they're just really, uh, the community there has taken on a massive project. Really, to be honest, they should be paid project management salaries, but it's all being done, you know, uh, on a voluntary basis. And is there, suppose
1: I'm listening now in North Kilkenny or in, in Carl summer, and I'm thinking, how can I actually get my hands on the people who made this happen and get the real live on the ground experience, what was involved, what it took, how can I access those people? Could you tell yeah, me? I,
6: I, we would, I'd say. I mean, Wine Gap is a really good example as well of people who've you know set up, a, you know, took on a huge capital project to renovate their hall to make it more, you know, relevant to what they need now, and establish a shop and a cafe. And, you know, it's it's had a fundamental, you know, really changed that place or brought it back to what it was in terms of how busy it is but there's like there's a there's a committee there who are actually I was chatting to Julie O'Brien who's one of the key people there yesterday and they're all originally they would be a lot of them would be people who would own their own businesses as well they have run their own businesses they have families and they're running this business as well at the same time they have been really good to share their experiences with others who are interested in doing it so the best thing in a long-winded answer to your question, is uh, probably come back through us if they want to start, you know, networking with others who've taken these kind of mm-hmm. projects on. There's lots of lessons. The, the the groups in in all of these settings are incredibly generous in terms of sharing their stories and experiences. And there's a there's a lot of work to taking a project that's sometimes worth a few hundred thousand, bringing people like ourselves on board the county council in terms of permissions. Additional funding, and um, and you know, and tying all of those elements together, it's a big job. But it's it's what what uh, what it's a, not surprises, but what we find is amazing is the the actual real time capacity that's out in communities and their ability to deliver on big projects like these and then keep them going over time. It's phenomenal.
7: And and sharing that knowledge, which is key. So we start off with one thing, and then. Another a community sees how good that is, and then they want it, you know, for their community. And and the sharing of knowledge really is is quite amazing. And I said the volunteers, we couldn't do it without them. So
6: this was just a quick thing there. So the smart villages thing, as well as there's a number of like big challenges there for us now ahead. You know, in terms of every, every the environment changes regularly. So as these groups are bringing through these projects, we have to start thinking now about the. So what is the what is the impact here in terms of climate so keeping people in you know in a place moving moving less perhaps you know um might be might have benefits to the climate so Brendan in, in on thursday will next we'll look at mobility why we move um, the reasons how how we can allow, if, uh, allow people to move or maybe stay in better ways, you know. And then, the, in in terms of the, the 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 circular economy, these like something like these projects and kind of and businesses in sm- in small places, they create these circular forms of economic exchange that really kind of embed a level of of better wealth yes. in a place that makes sense. It
1: does make sense. And there is a wealth of knowledge within all those communities to make that circular economy, which is really going to become exceptionally relevant, I think, to how we live and breathe in in the years to come. Um, So to make that possible. And I think that piece as well about seeing another community, because sometimes when you hear what's available, it seems very distant, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. But then when you look down the road and see what somebody else did and what it's done to change the community, that's really inspiring. Could either of you bring us to Thomastown? Just to remind mm. our listeners this morning what's happening. next <coughs> So
6: week. half to next Thursday, we have the the it's called it's a, the Our Town Smart Villages. It's in it's the four it's the fourth of us. Yes, yeah. it's the fourth so workshop yeah. of of this kind of block of exploratory um, workshops. Now so running alongside this has been a Smarter Villages training program that communities have been participating on in Kilkenny. And I don't know if that that's not that's kind of pretty much finished but I I think this over the next few years is something we're going to continue to explore so on Thursday we have John Lonergan who's the former um,
7: you governor
6: governor of the Mm -hmm. Mountjoy prison who's a a really I would say very sound thinker around what you know healthy communities can look like and he's going to look at it If, if we're going to make places more connected we want to make sure that everybody's included so they become inclusive places as well.
1: Okay, so it's 2.30 in Thomastown Community Centre.
6: Yes, okay. exactly. And Thomastown Community Centre actually is a very good example of a smart place run by smart people.
1: OK, so yeah. we can go and learn and see what is to be to, to be learned as well. So thank you so much to you, Martin Rafter, and to you, Angela Campion, of Leader, for sharing that with us this morning.
6: Just for people, we are, there is some nice food at the end of it, so it, we would need people to just give us a call or go on to in- Eventbrite and book their place. Oh,
1: to book in. OK, yeah. no problem.
0: Well, we if there's food, we'll be there. Thank okay, you both great. very much. <laughs> KCLOR Live with thanks to the Fairgreen Shopping Centre gift card, the perfect gift for all occasions. See fairgreen.ie Thanks Ashling. I'm wondering would we be
1: left newsless across <laughs> Carlo and Kilkenny on Monday morning were you to win the big box like that lucky family in Kilkenny, Ashley? What do you reckon?
8: See, I actually do enjoy the job, so I feel like I'd still work even if I won a lot of money. I think I'd carry on doing the job I'm doing and just have the money there and maybe go on a few extra holidays and stuff like that. But I do think I would love to set up like a dog shelter or something like that if I won that amount of money. And Maybe do this part time and have that part time as well. Um, but I don't know.
1: I'm not sure. What and about the, yourself? The joy being, it just takes all the pressure away, doesn't it? Yes, yes, definitely. And um, dear, I say, if you have a bad day in the office, you can just rock on out that door. Mm-hmm. Not that we have bad days here. No, never. Every day's every day's every, a good day. <laughs> every day's a good day. Exactly. Thanks a million. I might throw that question to Alan O'Reilly of Carlo Weather. Alan, what would you do if you won the big box?
9: Buy more weather stations <laughs> okay
1: well you'd still be doing the weather because you do all this free gratis and just for the love of the job you were correct in foreseeing rain on saturday sorry good good weather saturday and rain last sunday what does this weekend look like alan
9: well, we just have some breaking news I can bring you. The UK Met Office have named Storm Anthony. So we actually finally have a name Storm from the season, which most people would think was last year's names, but they run up until next month. So Storm Anthony has just been named in the last few minutes. It's mainly going to impact the UK, and that's why they've named it. But we will see some very, very heavy rain tonight from the storm and some strong winds in the morning. So rain arriving in Carnicley Kenny later this evening, probably after 6 or 7pm and then some really heavy torrential downpours overnight tonight, around probably between midnight and 5 a.m., the heaviest. But we could see 10 to 20 millimeters of rain. So a lot of rain in a short period of time will lead to some localized spot flooding. So if you're out moving early tomorrow morning, do take care because there will be some spot flooding on the roads. We will also have some strong winds in the morning, so some very strong winds. Now, the worst of those winds will be further south, so south Kilkenny will see some of the stronger gusts. Not too severe, but unseasonably windy. The good news then, we've got all the bad news out of the way. The good news is once that pulls away on Saturday morning, the rain will clear. The winds will still be strong for a time, but sunny spells will develop. And then as you go through Saturday, the winds will slowly ease off and the sunny spells will be there. Now, it's going to feel bitterly cool in the strongest of winds when the sun is not out because it's an orderly wind. So it might only actually feel about nine or ten degrees in the kind of mid-morning to afternoon with the strong winds. But it will actually feel warmer in the evening time. The good news is Sunday is going to see a lot of sunny spells, much lighter winds and just the odd shower. Now, the showers will be in the east and the north, so currently Kenny can expect some showers on Sunday. So it's going to be a real jumper on, jumper off, jacket on, jacket off sort of a day on Sunday. But uh, generally not a bad Sunday at all, actually. Bank holiday Monday, there's a risk of some more rain moving in. Now, it might just stay south of Cairn Kilkenny or might just catch even maybe Kilkenny. So that's something to keep an eye on over the weekend. But there is a risk of some rain on bank holiday Monday.
1: OK, Ellen, you're very positive. I was finding it hard to glean the good news amongst all of those weather alerts because it just doesn't sound at all what I had in mind for August, I'll tell you
9: yeah it's kind of hard to believe that july was the wettest month of the year so far and august has really not uh improved a whole lot the only thing i would say to you is as i said sunday's a good day um tuesday may see some showers but actually wednesday thursday friday next week do look a little bit more settled and i've been posting on my social media that our summer is going to be this Thursday coming. <laughs> so we're going to get a, a very short blast of warm air. is going to come up on Thursday and early Friday. And it's going to be much, much warmer than the air we've seen over. So, um, yeah, so Thursday might be the day if, if you're looking for a bit of heat because it will be much warmer on Thursday. But it does look to be more like a fleeting glance of hot air rather than something that's going to stick around for a few days.
1: OK, there'll be an exodus to the beach on the back of that one. Ashley was saying to me this morning that for six weeks solid, there's been at least some rainfall every single day. Not that I doubt her because she is the girl with the news, but is that true?
9: Yeah, that is true. I mean, some weather stations, um, even in the southeast, I think had rained 23 days in July. Um, so you know, there was there was re- pretty much rainfall nearly every day. And the, the end of June was the same. And then the first few days of August. So, yeah, that, that does sound accurate, unfortunately. Indeed. Well,
1: listen, Ellen O'Reilly, Carlo Weather, thank you so much for sharing what's ahead, at least forewarned, four forearmed. Isn't that it? And we can look forward to the summer holidays on Thursday.
9: Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Enjoy the summer. Have a great weekend. <laughs> Cheers. It's,
1: Thanks. It's World Breastfeeding Week, and the focus is on making breastfeeding at work work. I'm joined on the line by Monica O'Connor of La Lèche League in Carlo. Good morning to you, Monica. Hi Una, thank you so much for having me on. It, well it's it's great to talk to you and I actually want to start with the legislation. Can you talk us through this? So this was uh, signed, the bill was signed into law on Tuesday, is that correct, which will make breast, breastfeeding at work more possible?
10: This is what we're hoping. I suppose my own breastfeeding story goes back a long way. My first child was born in 86 and my last child in 2008. So I've seen all sorts with maternity leave and legislation back when I was starting to support mothers in 1996. I've been a trained breastfeeding counsellor with La Leche League since my third child was a year old in 1996. And so back then it was like mums were asking us how to negotiate going back to paid employment because the first thing I would like to say is that all parents work. Some of us get paid. But, so I would say that we are all, you know, some of us are in paid employment, <clears throat> but all of us work. And uh, we want to make it possible for mums. There's an article there in the Indo today saying that one of the myths that one of the midwives up in the Rotunda was trying to crush on the head was that, you know, breastfeeding can only continue for the length of maternity leave. And I have to say, at our own coffee morning yesterday in Teddy's in Carlo, we had a lovely selection of mums and a great range of ages and some mums saying this is my last coffee morning i have to go back to my paid work next week and i'm really sad about it and some babies they had been able to pull the leave out to about 10 months and that means you know it's one of the memes on the letter league uh, facebook page this y- this week for world breastfeeding week just to say that you don't you may you, you know if you're able to get your baby to six seven eight months When they're taking a bit of solids, you may be able to continue to breastfeed for as long as you and the baby are happy without having to express at work, without having to introduce another way of getting milk into a baby. Babies at six, seven, eight months are often taking a little sippy cup of water and sometimes that's enough depending on mum's hours, you know. So the legislation has changed and what I'm hearing back from mams, sadly... Is no matter what the legislation says, that a mum is entitled to a breastfeeding break till the baby is two, what happens in employment is that you've got a woman going back to her workplace, leaving her small infant, sad about that often, excited about getting back to her colleagues, but what happens is the interface between mum and employer. And what happens there is that does the mother have a space where she can actually express? Does she have a workplace um, child minding arrangement so she can actually see her baby during lunch breaks and breastfeed? I've seen mothers do that and that seems to work really well. But you're actually looking often at a small employment, employee, employer kind of setup where it's difficult then for the employer to facilitate the mum's wish to continue with breastfeeding her baby if that makes sense Una.
1: So the idea is that time is allowed to facilitate breastfeeding breaks but to be honest the logistics of that sound quite dearestly unrealistic in a lot of cases as you've just cited.
10: And that's exactly what like I love to see the fact that the legislators are taking breastfeeding seriously. I love to see the fact that You know, breastfeeding is in the news. It shouldn't just be in the news for World Breastfeeding Week in the first week of of August and for the first week of October. There are mums every day of the year giving birth and breastfeeding their babies. And what the mums in the group in Carlo are saying to me is what makes it easy for them is that if they have support, what makes it easy for them is if, like, I asked mums what they'd like me to say to you this morning, Una. Mm. And they said, if you see a mum out in a coffee shop, in a restaurant, in the cinema, in a place of worship, on a bus, on a train, in her car, don't stare. Smile, if that's appropriate, if it doesn't look like a leer, (laughs) depending, (laughs) offer a glass of water, but don't, like, mothers struggle and they feel that people are staring at them, even though the legislation has been there since the last century, the legislation has been there to protect a mother's right to breastfeed her baby wherever the mother is, regardless of the age of the baby
1: and do you think that we've improved in that regard are are we steering are we steering with disdain
10: um okay so my babies were born in 86 93 95 2000 2003 and 2008 i have breastfed on buses trains planes uh, at the cinema at church in coffee shops in restaurants in other countries And um, I have never had anyone say anything nasty to me. I did the first time, I remember the first time so clearly back in 86 when I was going to register my baby's birth. And I did feel, I did feel anxious. I think mums feel anxious the first time they quote unquote breastfeed in public, which is another phrase I'd like to knock on the head. Because look, mums are entitled to be out places. Their, Their babies want to be with them and they should just be able to feed their baby Um, but I did feel that anxiety and I did do you know, I got over that because my son said, hey, ma, I want to feed. Um, well, he didn't because he was two weeks old, you know. But do, do you know what I'm saying? We have gotten better about it, absolutely. We are more accepting. And what I hear from mams now is that strangers will send them a cup of coffee or a glass of water or a sandwich even, or actually one mum was crying, saying to us that somebody came over to her. She was struggling in a restaurant to get her small baby feeding and to feed herself because she was starving. And this stranger came up and... You'll think this is weird now, but cut up her food for her.
2: Oh, because that's very she's
1: nice. <laughs> trying to eat her food with one hand. Someone who had been so, there and done that, undoubtedly. <laughs> so we are
10: getting better at support and we are getting better at saying, um, yes, breastfeeding makes a difference. And as a population, if we look at what breastfeeding does, not just for the health of our next generation of babies, our boys and girls, but also if we look at the generation of women, we know that breastfeeding makes a huge difference to a mother's health in later life, and the rates of various cancers are lessened in women who breastfeed for what our bodies, our bodies are designed to grow a baby, give birth to a baby, nurture that baby without anything else for about six months, and continue breastfeeding. The World Health Organization and the Department of Health and Children would say that if you can at all, try to give babies some breast milk up to the age of two. That's what what the research is telling us. But as one of the lovely mams on my group this morning said to me, look at this TED talk, she said, there is more, excuse if there are small ears around, there is more um, research done on erectile dysfunction than on breastfeeding and on how to make it. We know the breastfeeding's is good for mams. We know it's good for babies. We know it's good for families. We know dads and other partners and other family can bond by bathing and by hand and mum food and drink. We know that mothers need support. We know all these things. We're just not putting it into practice as might as well as we might.
1: I'd imagine, you were, I'd imagine you were one of few, Monica, of few that, Monica breastfed that breastfed in public back in, public in 1986. 1986. Have we gotten Did better? I don't
10: think that. I don't know. I suppose, you see, the thing about it is, I'd be breastfeeding in Dublin bus, right, with, in the winter, with November babies. And I'd have the baby in a sling under my coat. And people didn't know I was breastfeeding. Do you know, people came over to look at the baby and didn't know and said, thought the baby was asleep. And you, people go, ah, look. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not like anyone's displaying themselves. Nobody's doing this for kicks, you know. No, Literally, but I, I no. think we would have had a, totally, a totally different attitude.
1: Different attitude.
10: <clears throat> well, I have to say, like, I fed all of them for the six months without anything else and all of them up to two. And I did not restrict where I went and i never had anyone come up and make a comment and i i suppose what what mattered to me was finding la leche league was finding you was finding the irish childbirth trust was finding that there's friends of breastfeeding now and there's other groups and a lot of the lovely public health nurses are running supportive clinics in their own places you know i found i found uh, circles of support where it was accepted but i also found people who gave me the back up backbone i guess to say mm. Mm. This isn't something, that, you don't have to hide away in the rocking chair at the fire. Do that if you want. And absolutely, on a day like today, do you know what I mean? Don't don't tell the Green Party, but there might be a fire lighting, do you know? With the, and particularly with the weather that Alan O'Reilly is promising us for the next week. Do you Indeed. Know? Indeed. I think with storms, we might be putting on a bit of heat. And being inside with your baby, like, oh God almighty, I, I feel for anybody that's out in a, in a tent or a caravan, babies or no babies at this in this w- win, in lovely summer that we're getting. It doesn't sound know like a place we're, we're, to be we, <laughs> No, and at the beach I tell you it's challenging <laughs> to be getting sand down your top oh, but, yeah. oh. but you can but wherever, wherever the mother would like to be the baby wants to be with her and, and just support Let's just be, and one of the mothers said "Look, when we take away all the legislation and we take away the research and we take away what your mother-in-law says and we take away what your sister told you and we take away what all the health professionals said can we just be kind to each other and if we do that, then we we'll let people feed their babies as they would like to. I, I know, I
1: don't have stats, know, to, back don't have stats up, to back this up, but I, I, believe, but I, I believe that I, I we lagged behind we our, our European, our European counterparts, counterparts quite a bit when it came, to breastfeeding. When it came to breastfeeding. Have, have we bridged How, that, have gap we bridge that gap oh. any?
10: Mm, we're, we're, we're increasing, we're improving. We are improving. I don't have the recent stats to hand because... God bless them, the health professionals are doing their best to get the numbers up to show that all the training, all the 18-hour courses, all the lactation instruction that they have given to their health professionals has worked. But the stat that always makes my blood, to be honest, run cold is from a youngish doctor who spoke at our conference a couple of years ago. And she asked us to guess how much instruction as a GP was in the seven years training. Would you like to guess on breastfeeding? A minimal, I'm assuming. Minimal, I'm assuming. It was one hour. Oh, my goodness. In seven years. And and it was optional. You didn't have to go.
1: Okay. okay. Well, that probably explains so, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so there
10: you go. So we can change the law. We can, we can tell women what to do. We're very good at telling women what to do in this country, Una. Um, but we need to support and we need to back it up with real on the ground support, and for some women, that's a glass of water and a cup of coffee, and a smile and a wink, and say, "Well done, keep going."
1: Okay, well, something for all of us to, about to think about breast during World breast Breastfeeding Week. Monica, Monica O'Connor, Monica O'Connor of the League. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Joining
0: us this morning. KCL live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre, Carlow, with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets, and a state-of-the-art IMC Cinema. See Fairgreen.ie.
1: Lots of texts coming in on 083 306 9696 complimenting Kathleen. One texter says that her little boys are with her every minute of every day. I lost my own boy 32 years ago and I know he is beside me everywhere I go. That's what kept me going. That comes in from Pat. Pat, thank you for that text this morning. A few coming in as well about the COVID outbreak in St Luke's. One text saying, I was in Luke's outpatients last week. Nobody, including doctors, nurses, were wearing masks. Is it any wonder there's now an outbreak of COVID? And another says, as a former frontline worker, I'm shocked and sad that the hospitals have dropped their guard on gloves, masks, etc. No doubt a call from government and we'll pay the price now. Medical settings should never be without these measures that comes in from Aidan. And then another message says, major crisis... HB. Oh, sorry, I read this as the Health Board, but actually, it's HB Ice Cream have said that they're getting rid of the chalk ice. What next, the brunch? Oh my goodness! Well, not quite
0: as serious as I was expecting. The Friday panel on KCL or live. With
4: thanks to Kali Hogan Lanigan, Pakenny's leading law firm. See a full list of our services at pkhl.ie.
1: Now it's Friday and it's time to go through the papers and pick out the stories that have made most noise this week. I'm delighted to be joined in studio by Rachel Doyle of the Arboretum Home and Garden Heaven and John Doherty, Head of Residential Sales with Sherry Fitzgerald McCreary. Good morning to you both. Good morning, Una. Good morning, Una. I'm, I'm wondering how upset you would be if the chalk ice or the brunch were discontinued. Um... I love the chalk ice, so I I would be
11: upset about that that being taken off the market. Uh, What about you, John?
8: I think the chalk ice are kind of memories of being small. You know, just nearly probably one of the first uh, ice cream we had was the chalk ice, and I think the chalk ice and the brunch would the chalk ice and the brunch would have been the two. That I think I'd always remember. The two favourites. The two We've favourites. probably
1: gotten fancy getting the the fancier cho- you know, the thicker yeah. chocolate on the ice cream and maybe that's just gone out of fashion. But we'll start a little campaign here at KCLR to keep it to keep it going. Yeah. Um, what stories have you brought? Lots going on in the news this week, so would either of you like to kick off with the story of your choice this morning?
11: Yeah, I suppose I was looking through the paper. As I was looking through them I was seeing, you know, Trump and and, and, and that it that keeps giving to the news. Uh, that that man in in America, um, and uh, he I I don't know, I won't talk about him.
1: <laughs> he keeps giving whether we want whether, whether we, we want, want it or, or not. not.
11: Yeah, and it's sort of just crazy, such crazy stuff, and I feel sorry for America.
1: He was quite, he had quite a lot of bravado in his response to that, didn't he? Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I just find it incredible that we're now facing into yet another election where Trump is the name on the, I just find that incredible.
11: Yeah, I just, I just find that hard to believe that people would still vote for him, despite the fact of all the charges that's against him and how he has behaved and how arrogant I mean th- I think arrogance is the worst trait in a person and he, he has it in
1: abundance I think so and also the Republican Party they, they, I mean if that's the best they have to offer yeah. all of the years, these years later it just mm. it beggars belief. to be quite honest yeah. doesn't it
8: absolutely yeah I would agree I mean it's the scary thing is it's the, the support that he has behind him and I mean and it's amazing the the, the clientele of people that actually back him as well I mean a lot of people have this impression that it's, it's it's the you know the people who are not educated but it's not the case I mean he's got such support I mean there he is now I mean and he's determined I mean he is determined that he's going to get in the next time around
1: and he may well do that's the reality and here we are giving Rachel when we said we weren't going to give him air time and yet here we are and there will be so much more of this um, over the, the months to come that's for sure
8: well there's a lot of fear like w- in our business we're, e- we're even seeing it now a lot of Americans wealthy Americans are coming here and buying country houses in Ireland and it's almost they have this fear like they want to get out before he gets in again okay yeah well, so like if- we're, we're seeing that now you know a lot of, lot of very wealthy Americans are coming in here and you know they they're, they're, they're bringing money and they're coming in here and buying houses with cash I mean I suppose on the on the upside for us, it's it's probably that's that's good for Ireland. I mean, obviously, I I don't
1: see that as being good for Ireland, John. I don't think we need wealthy Americans coming in and bringing their money with them and increasing the prices for ordinary people who can barely afford to rent as it is. Just you know, that that does not sound. I I would agree where you're
8: coming from, but like generally, the houses that they're looking at are kind of like big country homes. They're they're not coming in here and buying the standard three bed semi. I mean, they're they're buying a lot of the old kind of period houses and they have the thing they want a uh, property with loads of land and privacy and that um we're seeing a lot of that and i mean do you
1: think that we go looking for that
8: no I, I think i think i suppose we are very lucky i mean i know we have we have our own issues to deal with here in ireland as every country but i think we are behind it all we have a, we have a super country and i think we're very lucky uh, to be living here. Look, there's a lot of uncertainty going on in the world. Um, I mean, you look at Trump and then you look at the UK as well. I mean, you had, you had Donald Trump and then you had the previous leader uh, in, in, in England. I mean, to me, I would have seen a resemblance between the two of them, to be quite honest. Two very arrogant men.
1: But I suppose you say we're, we're very lucky and John McGuinness was in with us this week and I asked him, what do constituents think is the biggest problem that they face in in july 2023 and he said housing Absolutely. housing and there's also been story after story the waiting list for houses uh, in kilkenny carlo is up by 25 percent in the past month it's just an ongoing problem and i would be concerned by that influx of foreign I agree. money i would agree. i really would
8: yeah i would agree see i suppose it's like everything you have the wealthy and then you have that you have the the people who are struggling to keep their head above water and then you obviously have a certain element of people who who think they're entitled to everything but look, at the end of the day, the biggest problem here at the moment is housing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, And I think the problem is we have a lot of people that have come in here to Ireland and I think we don't have the facilities to to, to be able to to be able to house them. And that's also adding pressure then to the long list of of Irish people who who are trying to get houses. I might
1: just ask you, just looking around Kilkenny-Carlow, do you see any light at the end of this tunnel that we seem to be struggling to get through when it comes to property? Are there properties coming on, developments coming on that will ease the pressure a little bit there?
8: Well, I think the biggest problem at the moment is uh, there's an awful lot of people who can't afford to buy a property at the moment and they want to try and rent. But the problem is there's absolutely nothing to rent. I and mean, if you go into Daft and put in Kilkenny, you might have six or seven properties. And it's the same with Carlos. So I think that's that's the big... So it's hard enough trying to save and, uh, and get money for a deposit to buy your first house. But the problem is you can't even get a house to rent.
1: Is Airbnb the problem there, do you think?
8: yeah i think it is that's probably part of it it is that 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 is probably part of it yeah um but i mean i think i think the whole airbnb thing you know i don't think it's as straightforward as it was i think um but there's still plenty of people there doing it and making a lot of money um but like i even see in our office here in kilkenny i mean we've people come in and professional people of all walks. I mean, they're not just people who who don't have a job or who are. You know, there 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 are people who 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 I'd say a lot of companies, here Uncle Kenny, can't get accommodation for them to live in. That's that's a problem.
1: It's just a shortage, shortage and that's yeah, the beginning and end yeah, of the problem. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Rich, I'm going to turn to you for a second. Were you away last week, or were you enjoying the Carlo Garden Festival?
11: Oh no, the Carlo Garden Festival is just amazing, and it's still giving, and it's been a really, really good, um, good event for for County Carlo. It started off in the Arboretum with two uh, incredible guys from Gardeners World. And we had them last year for the Carla Garden Festival, and uh, by public demand, we literally had to bring them back this year. And they were equally as good this year, and gave two very different garden designs. And it was a great start to a wonderful week. And just for you know, today now uh, Altamont uh, is on at eleven thirty, and uh, at three o'clock, and again two amazing speakers for that event. And then tomorrow. Mary Staunton, she's a a girl. She lives in Dublin, out in Bray, and she's in the Delta Sensory Gardens, which is a gardens that anyone that hasn't been to should take a visit. It's it's wonderful, and it's it's supporting people with special needs. And we just my 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 son and myself, he's an horticulturist as well. We designed one of the gardens, which was about how how um, the five senses. And, and you know we had plants suiting all the five senses and it, the whole gardens in there is amazing and it's it's just so much voluntary work going on it and then on saturday uh, fergus garrett is in huntington castle and he he will be given a talk he's from uh, from the gardens illustrated which is a uh, very good english gardening magazines but like he would be a very sought-after speaker as well, so the Carter Garden Festival is it's st- going, is strong. Still going strong, going strong, and it's amazing.
1: The weather hasn't been great, Rachel. Did that affect numbers at all over the course of the week? Ah, uh, it does really because you
11: know people just won't go out if they think it's, there's a sh- black clouds uh, <laughs> coming. So, uh, but still, the, the the numbers have been good, and it's it's such a well-known, known event. Like there's. Every year we have a couple who come from Donegal and they go back with a carload of plants. But every year they come religiously. This is their week of holiday holidaying in Carlo and Kilkenny and like we would send them around around where, where we know they haven't been. So that it's just brilliant for the county.
1: And year after year that couple you mentioned are finding new places to Absolutely, discover. Absolutely, yes. And and they'll
11: come back for the speakers that they love, do you know? Like we've had Monty Don a few times, and he, t- we, we actually have to st- stop that at eight hundred people, and and the work that we've put in is all for car for the good of carla tourism and for every one of us, and um, we have to move out all the benches to seat. 800 people so we're going to lyrath and the dolman and the Bagnall and all these places to borrow chairs for 800 so isn't that it's, great it's great and and monty is he suffers from depression but when he gets up on that stage he switches a button
1: yes it's really he, his his oh. his heaven isn't it It's his heaven. john have you got green fingers
8: yeah i would i'd like the garden i mean i have a small garden in thomastown um like growing up, I would have done a lot of the garden at home down in Glenmore, you know, that would have been doing the mowing the lawns and doing all that, and I'd, and I'd enjoy it. Um, uh, I have to say, I was delighted when I heard who was joining, how I was joining Rachel. Rachel is someone I deeply admire and would have been would have been following her for a very long time so it's actually lovely to actually get her to meet her face to face and chat to her
1: and i can confirm this is a true story rachel because he said well if rachel doyle is going to be there i'm going to be there
8: you were very excited no i mean i just i just look at you i mean i mean i remember when i was started going to dublin first in 1989 and going on the rapid express bus and passing where your business was and looking at where you you know how you started and look where you are now uh, it's incredible. I mean, it's what you've done. But, you know, I can see why y- you have uh, such good success, because I think that all comes down to, to yourself as a person as well. Um, you know, I think that's that's definitely the that's what I can see.
1: Well, listen, we might talk more about that and your your book, actually, Rachel. I want to hear how that's going as well when we come back after the break.
0: The Friday Panel on KCL or Live. With thanks
4: to P O Collie hogan Lanigan, the Kenny's leading law firm. See a full list of our services at pkhl.ie.
0: KCL or Live. With thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre, Carlo, with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie. Carlo Kilkenny KCLR
1: Now we're here with our Friday panel Rachel Doyle of the Arboretum and John Doherty of Sherry Fitzgerald McCreary Rachel we mentioned your lovely book before the break there My Tree of Life you launched that was it May it launched
11: no 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 it's uh, three weeks ago now it's only three yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, oh my goodness yeah, yeah. it and seems
1: longer and how's it yeah, been going
11: for you it's been incredible I'm absolutely thrilled with it Um it's been uh, chapters in Dublin, which is where we have our other Arbourish Morven Green, and the the sales of it there is phenomenal, which is great, and uh, it's going really, really well. And I suppose the reason that I wrote the book was to to tell people like I I was poor growing up, but I didn't. We didn't know we were poor because everyone else was around, and it was from 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 a very humble beginnings. To um, setting up the going back to study horticulture at 22, which was, was 50 years ago, and it, 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 and it was just uh, the ch- the chance that I needed in life was to get I got a scholarship and everyone told me I wouldn't get it from the Department of Agriculture because I wasn't a farmer's daughter. But when I went into the interview panel, I was able to tell them about apple trees and varieties of apple trees because my father Lord Reston was a great gardener and I was always with him in the garden so I I I mean I got I got in because of my my knowledge as a young girl of horticulture but the main reason that I wrote the book was that I'm always asked to speak to people and people about what where they're going in life and what they want to do in life and they don't know what direction to take so I suppose that's part of the book as well, about if you have the passion and determination and resilience and you follow your dream and you don't let anyone take your dreams away from you. And I say it in the book and I believe it, if your dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough. And and the book is about all of that, but it's also about the, the, the road bumps and the hills and the mountains that we had to climb in, in the business, like everything from being bypassed by a motorway to being flooded, going in and seeing the, the river burn up at the gate, and all my plants floating, and you know, so it's it's about that
1: and the resilience involved. And you mentioned chapters there. How is that venture going? You're you're still climbing and you're still dreaming big, aren't you, Rachel?
11: Yeah, yeah. And chapters is fantastic. I love it. And uh, my husband's gone up there today and I was raging. They couldn't go. I said, can't go. I have to go to KCLR. But uh, it's, it's wonderful and it's doing really well. And we, we, in six weeks, my two sons, who are just amazing, they transferred, transformed a 12,000 feet uh, building into a restaurant and a garden centre. Uh, very heavy on plants for health, uh, indoor plants because when you go outside and you look at all the balconies around so it's very much about urban living the garden centre but we're we're spending 4 million on the uh, arboretum in Kilquade start, it has started so that's a big project for us and my two sons are, are heading that up
1: Rachel, I'm tired listening to you. You don't decide, you know what, that's enough, you're still doing it. I don't know, did either of you see, and I can't remember which of the papers today, but there was a a study which suggests that a rural upbringing is healthier in the sense that the, the kids that are brought up in the countryside are outside more and they are with animals, both of which contribute to their health. How would either of you feel about that? I feel very strongly about that because I have five grandchildren,
11: age from 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 six to thirteen, and they love being outside. and They are, they they get a two euro for every plant they remember the Latin name of and, and the proper name of. So they're saving money by their knowledge that's amazing uh, and it's great and there's a tree planted for each of them and they all know everything about the ginkgo biloba and, and the tulip tree they're unusual trees that I planted when the birth of each of them and that is encouraging them I remember taking uh, Frankie's class from school, and I I gave them a talk about plants, and I was talking about the good lads and the bad lads. This was the good the good guys was the was the wasps. It was time at the wa- it was was this time of year when the wasps are di- are dying and looking for sugar, and I was telling him that they they they're not bad. That they eat loads and loads of green fly that suck the sap out of other plants, and then a disease called sooty mold, and these these kids in school now know the life cycle of the green fly that they it's give birth great to the young and then the lay eggs and, the, and they're there where it's absorbed in it but my grandson went home to his mum and he said verbatim he said what grand said that's amazing
1: and yeah. those those latin names are not easy to get your tongue around so they're not john absolutely. how would you be on the names of those plants
8: absolutely i mean i wouldn't be great on the names of the plants now and even in, in my own business i mean if i'm you know we're selling a house with a nice garden I'd know some of the plants but I'd always ask the owners like you know give me a list there because you know it always looks good when you're doing a description Um, but I'm learning I'm learning
1: I was going to ask you do you because since Covid I think that we are talking about gardening and plants and all of that an awful lot more have you noticed a difference in what your clients are looking for in terms of garden space and outdoor space definitely
8: yeah like we can see the whole the whole situation Covid I mean it's is people are very focused now they want outdoor space they want the garden and I know myself like in lockdown you know which was quite hairy when it started I mean I have a small garden at my house and it was you know very nicely done but that really kept me going so I can see whereas when I was living in Dublin I was in an apartment I would have found that a bit of a struggle now so the whole garden thing and the outdoor is a big thing now for people and i suppose that all comes back then to uh, i think everyone wants to live in the country now the quality of life is, is, is so good so well so it
1: seems it's, it's better for the children anyway yeah. rachel you had a story picked out from the examiner there would you like to share it with us yeah
11: yeah i, I suppose maybe i'm feeling very tired this weather so yawning at the dawn of the working day and it's a really lovely article and it's in Cindy Examiner and I'd say anyone to to read it it's a, it's about sleep it's about the caffeine boost it's about po- powering your thoughts and uh, a few interesting things in it one of them is uh to which i always do my to do list is really important and the the to to attack the most difficult tasks first eat the ugliest frog first there's a book about that but I, I think that that's really good and to remove distractions which is really something that we should all try and do put away your phone if you're feeling really tired or disable it and um just don't let things disturb you uh, you know uh st- these are just some of the things another one thing they said was to put on a funny video and I really believe that you know I believe that we should be conscious of what we're doing like I watched Noel Brown's uh, programme the other night on RTE1 and I was I read Uh, 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 what was it with Tide uh, I've forgotten the name of the book now years and years ago and I was a great admirer of his and it was a very very sad story and I went to bed and I couldn't sleep a wink you know so I shouldn't have watched it at that time and it's the same with you know if, if, if you're in bad form to go like for me my headache is not paracetamol my headache cure is to go out in the garden and walk around the garden and just smell the flowers and be in the moment with, with the lovely plants and the lovely flowers that you're looking at and it's amazing how you come back you'll come back a different person, energized and you get energy. And one thing, and I've often said it is, when you're in you know out in the garden to catch a leaf on a tree and put it in the palm of your hands and just hold it there for a few moments and you feel the energy of the tree. Now you all probably think I'm mad and so do the listeners but That's it's something funny. that works for me no, and that being in the garden and just, just smelling the flowers. I often walk over to the arboretum at night and go into the atrium when there's nobody else there and the fragrance from the flowers and you're there with all these beautiful plants and you have to feel good and you have to feel energy.
1: And that's I, I agree totally I don't think that sounds mad at all because something that I've often read and sometimes tried to do is stand on the grass yes. just stand there on my bare feet yes. yes. and it really grounds me and makes yes. me feel connected to nature yeah. in a way that is nothing but good it, yeah. it always lifts me a little bit so you can maybe advise any anybody viewing a house John to do that take off the broga and, and stand there, and it, they, it might have a good effect on, the on leaf sales. And
8: the leaf and put, putting a leaf into your hand is actually a brilliant idea. And I think, it, as you said, Rachel, I think it connects you with the plants as well. And um, I can see it, you know, when, you know, when people are looking at a house with a nice garden, you can see when they come in from the garden, you can just see they're almost even more relaxed.
1: Yeah. Balm for the soul. Correct. There's a lovely message in here for you, Rachel. Congratulations to Rachel. She's my inspiration. I'm not sure if the name is Arthur Rainbow. Does that ring any bells with you? Arthur Rainbow, that comes in from him. Um, John, we'll head back to you. Have you another story? You you were saying that you were sick of the doom and gloom in the news, so I don't know where you're going with your story. Maybe somewhere bright and light.
8: No, I was just... the article I've picked here is um, typical price for a new home soars to 410,000 a rise of almost 10% in one year that's in today's Irish Independent Was that surprising to you? No um, I think the big problem is is the, 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 the soaring building costs I think that's the big problem um, I think it's it's a, it's a very difficult time for anyone trying to build a house at the moment I think it's, it's very stressful. To
1: build or buy or, or well, both? Well,
8: to build or, build or buy.
1: Okay, because of build price. Build or buy, yeah. yes. Yeah. And I'm sure you're hearing that from people looking for a house that they're just being priced out of the market.
8: That's right, yeah. And you can see there, like we're, we're noticing it now at the first time buyer end there, there's a little bit of caution and you can see the interest rate uh, increases that we've had have, you know, or have, have had a knock-on effect. Well, basically it's reducing people's spending power. Okay. And, um, you know, you can see, you know, can see, uh, you know, the first time buyers are, are, are nervous.
1: There's, there's worry out there. there and, is. and for good reason, I'm, I'm going to suggest. Okay, stay with us. We'll be back after
0: this. The Friday panel on KCL or live. With thanks
4: to Paul hogan Lanigan, the Kenny's leading law firm. See a full list of our services at pkhl.ie.
1: Welcome back. Now I'm here with the panel: Rachel Doyle of the Arboretum, John Doherty, head of residential sales with Sherry Fitzgerald McQuery. John, you were saying in the break there that you notice a real buzz about Kilkenny these days.
8: That's right. Yeah, you can really notice it now.
1: And do you think that's changed on on recent years? Do you mean
8: that the, the COVID? Yeah. Well, I think I think that you know COVID was difficult. You know, you can see it, but you can you can see now uh, there's there's a lot of people around Kilkenny. There's a lot of tourists and. Um, I know. Sometimes we say, "God, the traffic is heavy driving out of the car park." But I mean, it's it's great to see Kilkenny, to see lots of people around.
1: Okay, and it certainly is. And what about Carlo's side, Rachel? Would you say the same thing?
11: Yeah, I I, I see. It, but certainly, we're we're having um, a lot more buses in the arboretum. Um, you know the other day I went in and there was four four full bus loads of people, two had booked in but two hadn't so put huge pressure on on the cafe staff but they they coped
1: Good pressure well. Good pressure, <laughs> absolutely
11: and and yet the amount of visitors I've gone in and I know a lot of people from Carlo Kilkenny and I've gone in some days and I think this is incredible I don't know anybody here so that's really good and it's really good for business and I haven't being in Carlo Town, I usually do my my grocery shopping late at night, so I, I I can't really comment about the town as such. But there's a nice there's a nice buzz when I go in, which is great. Town.
1: Yeah. Okay. Now we have another story there. Are we still in the indoor? Or are we gone to the Examiner again? Um, this is the Examiner, and again, again, I just
11: think it's really interesting. These are the sort of things that I read uh is the 10 diy checks to help keep a close eye on your health okay and it's it's everything from the heart rate uh moles and and how important it is to uh keep an eye on keep an eye on them your eyes your gum health your wrist circumference and and what that's telling you so uh breasts um so Uh, balance and it's even about the balance as we turn 50 um, Trinity College have done a survey on it and how we are uh, we we, our balance can diminish a little bit and we can be less more liable to fall uh, and fracture and so so, it's, it's it's a really super article and I'm going to take the paper home. With me I, I'm, I'm finding I it a little bit
1: depressing, to be honest. 50 seems very young to be thinking yeah, about your balance.
11: 50? Yeah, and the the actually, mid, mid Rachel,
1: fi- mid 50s. I read an article yesterday which said that 50 is the new 21 and it pointed oh, yeah. to people like Jennifer, what's her name, Jennifer oh, Lopez, yeah. J- J-Lo, we call yeah, her. yeah. yeah. And how young she looks. Now, she yeah. might have had a little bit of help from her favourite surgeon. I don't know, but mm. it does seem like a young age to be getting concerned about something like balance,
11: yes. doesn't but it? it, it it's, it's not... I suppose maybe it's an awareness, I would think, that it's telling people uh, to be aware. Like... I believe that you take 20 off whatever your age is, and that's your age now. So that's. I'm very happy to do that, Rachel. No problems.
8: It makes me very young, (laughs) but hey. That'll make me 31.
1: (laughs) Rachel, go back for a second to the wrist circumference. What is the significance of that? I've never heard that on a health to do list before. Uh, um,
11: Oh. The wider your wrist, the greater the risk of type 2 diabetes cardiovascular disease and some types of cancer. My so uh,
1: as we all look at our wrist see, <laughs> are we It's in it's danger? just an
11: article that I'm dying to read because I think that you know it's information is you know education is yes. so important that we educate ourselves to what you know to 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 living a very healthy life like for me I suppose you know I'm very positive I don't do negs, I don't negative people. I don't want to sit down and hear about gossip or anything. So I think that that keeps you happy and it keeps you young.
1: Were you always like that, Rachel, that you didn't allow the negativity to get in on top of you? Yes, always. It's just your personality.
11: uh, Uh, It is my personality. And I remember a girl years ago, she broke a really expensive vase, and she was crying. She was really upset. And I said, look it. I put my arm around her and I said, you didn't mean to break that nobody died and anything else we can sort out if somebody dies I don't know how to handle that but that's only that's only a material thing you know and she was so upset and she, I
1: love that yeah and it you know but it's true really do you know do you know I was in the company of somebody once and um, she, her, she was having a glass of wine and it, it was a red wine glass of course it would be mm-hmm. and it spilled on top of somebody that we were with and that yeah. person was Clearly annoyed and, yeah. and didn't hide that fact, and I just thought, who is ever going to spill something like that on purpose? You have to show a little yeah. bit of compassion for the embarrassment on the other side. So I think that's a, a lovely way to react to somebody else's um, clumsiness, shall we say? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to try and do that. Are you positive, John? In your in your business, it may w- well it might be difficult. I, think I am.
8: I think I am. Yeah, I am definitely, and i I'm, I'm all about appreciating life, and I think you know it all starts. I think about being positive. I, I, I am. And I can see with Rachel, I'd say when Rachel was growing up, I'd say I'd say she grew up in a very happy house. I'd say yeah. I'd say your your house was very happy. Yeah. And yeah. like in my own house as well, you know, we were kind of brought up like, I mean, a bit like, you know, my own father is 92 and he'd be a very positive man. <laughs> And I kind of look at him, and I try—I suppose—I try and follow his path to a certain degree. A role model, absolutely, yes. yeah. And I'm a little bit like like Rachel. I I I I, I don't tolerate negative people, to be quite honest. Mm. Um, and you know, I think as I'm getting older, I realise: look at okay, if a problem can be solved, is there anyone going to die? Well, that's the first thing. I'm, I'm kind of bit like that now. Where look, no one, no one has died will solve the issue.
1: It's all going to be okay. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I'd love—I would love to think that I'm like that, but it can be hard sometimes. But yeah. it's no harm to check in with yourself and just yeah. say, yeah. look on the bright side, keep yeah. the best foot forward. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. we're all doing our best. Yeah.
11: yeah. And a tip for John is: it used to be years ago where, when when the auctioneers were coming around or the, the house valuers, they were told people to bake and have the smell of home cooking. <laughs> now they're telling people to spend a few bob on the garden, <laughs> That's and that that. That's what sells the house. That's yes. it,
8: and we'll be will be sending them all to the abatement Rachel Thank you. Yeah. for a few
1: pence. <laughs> and, and no more scones, is that it? Are we are we not still baking the scones before we no, come in? No, it's funny. In?
8: It's funny. Yeah. I've I have, a, I have was a property at the moment, and there there were scones baked, and there was there was scones baked left in the worktop for the first few, and yeah, it's a yeah. little bit
1: too obvious, maybe.
8: Yeah, it's it's funny. Some of the stories they say have the have the bread in the oven, and then put the cat sitting on the stain on the carpet. Uh, you know you hear some of the funny stories but yeah there was there was scones baked and there were left out on a tray
1: all the tricks of the trade well listen we, we got a bit philosophical there we kind of went off the news yeah. but it was really yeah. great to chat with you both yeah. thank you to Rachel Doyle of the Arboretum to John Doherty of Sherry Fitzgerald McCreary for coming in this morning John I'm sure you are much loved but there are a lot of messages coming in for Rachel admiring her seeing how lovely it is to hear her on the radio and what a wonderful lady you are someone here is suggesting Rachel for president she has foresight and wisdom so there you go and John I'm sure there'll be more to come on you but for the moment that's all we have for you today thank you for your company Brian Redmond will be back on Monday oh on Tuesday because it's a long weekend and have a good one
0: KCL or live, with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlow, helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie.